Well, good morning. It's great to be here with you this morning, worshiping our Lord and Savior. Uh, Merry Christmas, and I guess we can say Happy New Year, according to Katie. So um, it is the 30th, but um, yeah, Happy Happy New Year. It's right around the corner. Looking forward to what God is uh, preparing for us, what He has in store for us in this this new year. Um, excited to have the opportunity to get into His Word this morning, and thank you so much for the opportunity um, for that to to hear with me what God has to say uh, to us this morning. Now, I don't know about you, but I I actually like to travel, and uh, I like flying. I like flying on planes, but air travel doesn't make sense to me. Like, it, it doesn't make sense that something essentially bigger than my house can take off from the ground, fly through the, the air at thousands of miles per hour, and somehow get me from point A to point B without something really bad happening. But the reality is, I still get on the plane. Even though it doesn't make sense to me, even though I can't explain everything that's going on and how that works, I still get on the plane. I don't know about you, but um, maybe, maybe traveling, maybe airline travel isn't, isn't your thing. Maybe you've never been on a plane before, but I'm gonna, willing to bet that you do like eating food. Okay, And I think um, that has already been mentioned a couple times in the service, so we're already tracking on that, on that uh, line of thinking. Uh, but when you go to your favorite restaurant, think about your favorite restaurant. You order something from the menu, it comes out, Imagine, right before taking that bite of that delicious entree, you stop and say, whoa, 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 wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. How did this all come together? What were the ingredients? Uh, Somebody, uh, please bring the chef. I need to hear from him or her how they put this meal together. Explain to me. Start from the beginning and go all the way through. Tell me, how was this prepared? No, nobody does that. Why? Because you want to experience that undeniable, delicious plate of food that's in front of you, right? The problem is for us, we're willing to accept the unexplainable if the undeniable reality is in front of us, but the problem for us is if, when it comes to God, we sometimes get hung up on the things that we just can't explain, We get hung up on our questions, our doubts. And it's hard for us to move into that space of that undeniable reality that's in front of us. It's hard for us to make that leap from, whoa, whoa, this does not make sense to me, all the way over here to tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. That seems like a big, big gap to us. See, we can't explain some stuff about God, how he works, what he does. We can't explain some stuff about who he is, his identity. But deeply in our souls, we want to know God. We want to worship more authentically. We want to believe God deeper. But sometimes we get hung up on our doubts. And we need to make that shift. We need to make that shift in our minds from that unexplainable reality 
to the undeniable truth that's in front of us. But sometimes some stuff gets in the way. Sometimes it could be fear that gets in the way. Sometimes it's just, it's just easier to go with what's safe and familiar than to take a step out in faith and to believe something that's a little bit hard to explain. Or, like I said, maybe it's doubt. And our big questions, the big questions that we have overpower even that undeniable reality that we're faced with. Or maybe it's suffering. It's like, hey, why am I going through this? Come on, God, what is the reason for this? Why? This just isn't how it should be. This isn't, this isn't how you should be working. This isn't how, how you should be allowing someone that loves and cares for you. And it just doesn't make sense. Or maybe it's just pride. Maybe we're at the point in our lives where, you know what? We, we know it all already. We, we know everything we need to know. We've got it figured out. We've got it sorted. And we're good with where we are. And finally, maybe it's the boxes and categories that we use to kind of organize and make sense of our lives that get in the way of us really truly knowing God. Because we've got that box, we've got that category, and Jesus and God, they don't quite fit into that nice, neat package that we have in our minds with the bow on top. But what I want us to see this morning is that we can know God personally without knowing it all. We can know God personally without knowing it all. Without having our questions answered, our doubts overcome, without having the pain taken away, without having that nice, neat package with the ribbon and the bow on top. But we'll have to be willing to listen for understanding. We'll have to be willing to open our ears to hear and maybe we'll have to be open to seeing things in a new light. Now, I think this is why John writes his gospel account. Something incredible and paradigm-shifting has happened in his lifetime, and he wants to get it down on paper. He wants to write it down so that there's a record of this incredible thing that's happened. So that it isn't just the people around him that know about this incredible event, but it gets passed on from generation to generation. He wants to make sure that people understand that God has made an appearance, that God has shown up, that God has taken up residence in our home, left his home, taken residence in our home. Come into the neighborhood so that we would be able to see and live and know in a way that we never lived or saw or knew before. So we could hear and understand. This morning the message is entitled, Do You Hear What I Hear? Communication is complicated. It goes both directions. Somebody's got to receive the signal. Somebody, somebody has to send the signal. Somebody has to receive the signal. And so much can get lost in translation in between those two points. 
This morning, we're going to be in John chapter 9. John was a friend of Jesus, a man who personally took care of Mary, mother of Jesus. After her son was crucified on the cross of wood, man, he'd heard the stories of Jesus' life a hundred times, if not more. He was so familiar, intimately aware of the details and the nuance of who Jesus was. And I think he writes his gospel so that we could get a clearer picture of who Jesus is. And that we could understand that we can have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. In chapter 9, he challenges us with a very concrete yet unexplainable event that points us to an undeniable reality. Let's open up to John chapter 9 right now. And as we do that, um, as we do that, I, want, I just want to preface this a little bit. Jesus, in this text, is going to be telling us something. Okay, he is going to, he's going to make an announcement about who he is. So pay attention for that. He's also going to be showing us something. So as we're going through this story, look for that as well. He is going to be showing us something that reinforces what he's already told us. And then we're going to see something unexplainable take place. And finally, there's going to be a challenge kind of to wrestle with or to accept or deny something undeniable. That's going, to be the, that's going to be the moment where we make a choice. We have, to, we have to put ourselves in the story. We have to say, okay, what am I going to do with this? How am I going to move forward knowing this truth? Okay, so let's look at verses 1 and 2 to start out with. Chapter 9, Gospel of John, verses 1 and 2. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And that seems like kind of an interesting question, right, from the disciples. Like, why are they asking this, this question? It seems like very specific. Well, in the, in the Jewish framework, in the Jewish understanding of sin and how life works, this makes perfect sense because it, it kind of, the Eastern religions kind of functioned a little bit more like karma. You do good stuff, you get good stuff. You do bad stuff, you get bad stuff. It, there's not a whole lot of room for compassion or love or care. Love your neighbor was a, a completely foreign concept. And so what we have is them asking a different type of question. The question is not, uh, the question is more along the lines of, uh, not, hey, how can we care for and love this person? Not that kind of question. They ask a question that fits in their framework. Their question is, hey, what did that person do that they deserve this? It's interesting to note, that's the starting point. Let's look at verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. And Jesus is saying, listen, in this case, it's not about sin. 
We've got to back up a little bit. Listen to what I'm saying. This all has happened so that the glory of God could be seen in and through this man. This man was born blind for a reason. So pay attention. Then Jesus says something incredibly kind of arrogant sounding. Like if, if, you, if you were to just read this, and, and it's, even, it's even more offensive in the, in the context of this time, time period that we're in. But look at what he says. Verse 4, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. Watch this, verse 5. When I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Hmm. That is a pretty big statement. So Jesus is telling us something. He's saying, hey, while I'm here, you're going to have light. When I leave, no light. It's going to be dark. I mean, he's going to have to back that up, right? I feel like you're going to make a statement like that, you need to back it up. And in the, in the context, I, I just really wonder what the disciples heard. What did they hear Jesus saying? He's, he's talking about light of the world. He's like, what? They're looking for a Messiah. They're looking for a king to come charging in and take over his kingdom. And he's talking about light of the world and all this crazy stuff. But then Jesus does something a little nuts. And this is a little bit hard to explain no matter what time period you're in, no matter what religion you're ascribing to, no matter what culture you come from. Now Jesus does something. We're looking at verse 6. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Okay, this man is used to being insulted. Okay, he's a beggar. He's, he's been marginalized all his life. He's, he has no place in society. He's used to hearing people insult him, hearing people make comments, Put yourself in his shoes for a second. He's sitting there hoping for a handout. And then he hears... <laughs> and then that mixing, mixing with... The next thing he knows, he's feeling something contact his face over his eyes. Whoa, 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 hey, whoa, who taught you manners and personal space? Come on. What is going on? This is a crazy scene. And then it gets, it gets crazier. And in, in my opinion, this is the first miracle that happens. Before the guy even re, regains his sight, before, before the guy even uh, is healed and made so he can see, he obeys what this man, Jesus, tells him to do. You've got to picture it, okay? Guy, mud on his face. Jesus says, go, go to the pool of Siloam and wash there. So this guy, he's got mud on his... He can't see yet. He's not been given his sight. 
probably hands out, oh, oh, there's the edge, okay, I've got to take a step. Anybody know where the Pool of Siloam is? A little help? You just got to picture how ridiculous this scene looks, how crazy it is, but the man obeys. And isn't that true that sometimes we have to obey first before we receive a blessing? Isn't that sometimes how God works? This sounds nuts. Go to the pool and wash? Okay. Without even asking another question, he does it. And he comes home seeing. Let's go to, let's go to verses 8 to 12. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. Now then, how, how then were your eyes opened, they demanded. He replied, well, the man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed. And then I could see. Well, where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. Okay, so here comes the tension. Some people notice, they recognize this guy, but they're like, whoa, I thought he was blind. I thought he was a beggar. I thought he couldn't see. Uh, and now he can see? What's going on here? Somebody better have an explanation for us. Well, let's ask him. So they ask the, they ask the guy who was formerly blind what happened, and what does he do? He tells his story. I want you to think about that. What do you do when suddenly all the attention is on you? He has been on the sidelines all his life, and then suddenly he's right in the center. Everybody's looking at him. Everybody's wondering, hey, what happened? Explain it. Tell us. Tell us how you regained your sight. And then he does. He shares his story. I wonder how many times we've had that opportunity to share our story but we're a little bit afraid, like, ah, I can't explain it all. I don't, I'm, I don't have a degree. I'm not, uh, I'm not really versed in all the theology that might need to take place. But we miss the opportunity. We miss the opportunity to share with somebody else our story. Because the reality is you don't need a degree to tell your story. It's the thing that comes most naturally to you. And it is a powerful powerful testimony. Don't underestimate that. Another detail here is it turns out that the, the man born blind, he was listening. Because look, he says, the man they called Jesus. If you've been blind all your life, your, your hearing's amped up. I mean, you're, you're tuned in. Okay? Your other senses start uh, balancing out your, uh, your weaker ones. Okay, Stronger senses balance out the weaker ones. And so he's like, Oh, yep, I know. I heard them say Jesus. I heard them say his name. But that's about all he knows. It was the man they called Jesus. Okay, tension is only building at this point, though. Because the people can't figure it out. The people that are standing around can't figure it out. But they do recognize, hey, something, something strange is going on. Something spiritual. You know what? We should... Get in touch with the spiritual authorities. Let's get them on the scene. 
Because this, this feels like a spiritual matter. Oh, so here they come. The Pharisees. Goodness gracious. Here we go again. The tension's only going get, to get uh, higher at this point because the Pharisees, they're all about the law, but they're about even more. They're about following the rules too. Okay, the law, that's given from God. Okay, you know what I'm talking about? The law, like Ten Commandments type of stuff. Like, you should observe the Sabbath. Uh, uh, when, I created the, when I created the world, worked for six days, took some rest on uh, the seventh day. Now, the Pharisees, they're like, yeah, you must observe the Sabbath, but it's got to be this day, and it's got to be in this way for it to count. And we're going to follow all these rules. We made up the rules, but, and we're going to follow them. We're going to make sure you follow them so you fit in with what God expects and what he demands. And the Pharisees, they do a good job of blurring the line between what God commands and what religion demands. It's a little bit different. Because there's a line between what God commands and what religion demands, but the Pharisees are like, ah, we're going to blur that. We're going to put it all together. Like, you're not, you're not any good unless you're following all the laws. Unless you're following all the rules as well. And so we get a little bit of that layer behind the Pharisees' questions. We understand where they're coming from a little bit. Let's look at um, the next verses here. I'm going to look at verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. Well, he put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Man, this, this guy is telling his story over and over again, and it's not changing. It's the same story over and over again. But then he kind of senses a little bit of pressure coming from the Pharisees. Let's look at, let's look at what happens next. Some of, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And the man replied, uh, he's a prophet? Okay, do you, do you feel the situation? Like, more and more pressure is applied. He's already told the facts. He's already told what he knows, but there's more pressure. They're leaning in. They're pushing in, pressing in, trying to figure out, hey, what happened? Explain this. And he's like, well, let me think about the, the highest possible title I can give this guy. Okay, a prophet. A man of God. A man that comes with God's word, comes with God's deed. I don't think that anybody could do this kind of thing unless they were from God, unless they had God working through them. Kind of like some, I don't know, uh, Old Testament stuff like Elijah the prophet and Naaman. There's another story of a healing. Maybe that's what's going on here. This guy they call Jesus must be a prophet. But 
It's not good enough for the Pharisees. So what do they do? They send for mom and dad, of course. They send for this guy's mom and dad, and then they start interrogating him. Let's look at verses 18, start verse 18 to 23. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? So they respond, well, we know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. See, his parents take the safe road. Like, ah, we're not willing to sacrifice everything here. We're not willing to be put out of the synagogue because that means our socioeconomic standing, our, everything is wrapped up in our membership. Our membership in society is wrapped up in whether we're in the synagogue or not. This was a massive, massive deal. And one of those rules that the Pharisees had kind of come up with, probably locally, was, hey, nobody professes that Jesus is the Messiah or you're out. That's it. No second chances. So they're not willing to risk being thrown out of the synagogue, and they're afraid of what that might mean for him, for them. And in, in John chapter 5, the religious leaders have already been trying to kill Jesus. Chapter 8, they, they actually made an attempt on his life, but Jesus got away. And now, we've got these rules in place that, mean, that, that, that basically say, hey, if you profess that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one, the one sent of God, then you are kicked out. I wonder if you've ever been there. If you've ever had the opportunity to share even just a little bit of your story. It's like, ah, oh, no, 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 I don't. I'm afraid of how I might be judged. I'm afraid of what that, the consequences might be if I really was open and honest with my experience. Because it's a little bit strange. It's a little bit hard to explain, honestly. Maybe you defer to someone else like the parents did. Okay, then it starts getting real, and we've got some name-calling. Uh, basically, they call, they call the man a second time. So let's look at verse 24. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. Okay, give glory to God. What that means is basically like here, take an oath on the Bible, uh, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, blah, 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 blah. It's official like, technicality that the Pharisees are throwing uh, at this man. It was like, come on. We know you've been lying. Tell us the truth now. And then they, they call Jesus, the healer, a sinner. So they don't believe the man. They call Jesus a sinner. And then this man replies with one of the most bold courageous statements in all of 
Scripture, I think, and it's, it's kind of funny, too. Look at verse 25. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know. I was blind, and now I see. One thing I do know. I was blind, now I see. That is undeniable. I can't explain it. I don't know the physics behind it. I don't know how the spirit works. I don't know how mud and saliva mix and suddenly uh, I go to a pool wash and I can see. I don't know that. But I know that I was once blind, now I see. Then they asked him, verse 26, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. I picture them like crossing their arms and like stomping their foot like, We are followers of Moses, disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. We know how dangerous a place to be for the religious leaders. We know. They start talking about the category that they fit God into. We know this. The reality is they don't know. If they did know, if they had listened, if they had opened their ears to what Moses was communicating in the Old Testament, they would know that Jesus was the one. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the anointed one sent from God. But because they think they know, they don't know. They missed it because they've got hands over ears, eyes scrunched. They missed it because they couldn't explain it. Couldn't explain it on their terms. And watch what, watch what this guy does. Listen, listen to the theology he throws back at the religious leaders. Verse 30. Go with me to verse 30 here. The man answered, Now, that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly men who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you are steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Okay, so there's not a single account in the Old Testament of someone receiving their sight, God healing someone and giving them their sight. So he's right on. 
He knows, he's, and he basically throws their argument right back at him. How, how, how could you guys not know? How could you guys not know a guy that's clearly doing God's work? And so they have no other recourse but to get mad, to get defensive, to do whatever they can to leverage whatever power that they have, and they throw this guy out. So on the day, on the day this man receives his sight, he's going to see the sunset for the first time. He's going to see his mother's face for the first time. On that day, the celebration of all celebrations should be taking place. What happens? He gets kicked out of the synagogue, thrown to the curb again, where he has spent all of his waking life. But then something awesome happens. Look at verse 35 to 37. Jesus heard they had thrown him out. Jesus heard they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Well, who is he, sir? asked the man. Tell me, so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, You have now seen him, in fact. He is the one speaking with you. Did you catch that? Jesus goes after the blind man. He goes, takes the initiative, and finds that man. The man that he's healed. The man who has, at this point, not even seen him. Because if you remember, he went to the pool. Jesus went somewhere else. Then he got his sight back. So this is the first time he's standing face-to-face with his healer, but he doesn't know it. Until this kind of cool Obi-Wan Kenobi moment where it's like, well, of course I know him. He's me. I would love to be in that position. Man, that would be so awesome to be Jesus in this moment. Be like, oh yeah, your healer? He's me. Imagine the response. Where true, true spiritual vision is given. And finally this man is like, I get it. I see it. I'm not just seeing physically. I'm seeing spiritual realities right now. I'm seeing the Son of God standing in front of me. I'm seeing the light of the world in the flesh. And then watch what happens next. Verse 38, then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. You want to know what the word worshiped would have evoked in that audience hearing this spoken out loud? What they would have immediately thought of when they heard the word worshiped is a throne room, a king. And they would have pictured a servant, a loyal faithful member of that kingdom coming in, kneeling down at the feet of the king and kissing his feet. Total humility, humiliation even. The servant kissing 
the king's feet. And that's what they picture this man doing. He's seen the light of the world. And what does he do? He believes and he worships. It's the most natural thing that he can do. This is clearly someone whose heart of hearts is saying, I want to be a disciple. I want to believe. I want to worship. And this is an example of the undeniable overpowering the unexplainable. He doesn't need to have it all explained for him to believe and to worship. Now, later on, after some times pass, Jesus makes the following statement, and the Pharisees jump all over it. They sense that he is picking a fight, and I think they might be right, Um, and so they respond. Listen, Listen to what Jesus says in verse 39. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into the world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? And Jesus said, Hey, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. See, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they have a massive, massive blind spot. This is a huge issue. Because they think they already can see, they actually don't see the undeniable reality right in front of them, that Jesus is standing there. He's just performed a miracle. Yes, unexplainable, but also undeniable. And because of their blindness, because of their shut eyes, because of their covered ears, there's no way they're ever going to receive the cure to their biggest ailment. They miss that Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, the sent one. He's more than a rabbi. He's more than a teacher. He's categorically not a sinner. He's the one sent by the Heavenly Father to bring His light to show us what's real, to show us what's true, even if it doesn't make sense to us at first. But He is never going to force our eyes open. He's never going to grab our wrists and pull our hands away from our ears. Jesus doesn't operate like that. But if we don't allow ourselves to hear, if we don't allow our eyes to be open, we can't possibly ever receive the cure for our biggest issues. See, I've seen this kind of this hard-hearted, kind of pharisaical attitude destroy lives. People close to me, like extended family close, where somebody just wasn't willing to take somebody's word for it that there was a major blind spot. And guess what? 
it ended up in a major wreck, a pileup where it wasn't just them injured, it was the people that were close to them too. Metaphorically speaking, their life was a train wreck because they were unwilling to be open and vulnerable and to hear and listen for understanding. To listen to those people around them that were trying to tell them, hey, look, don't turn into that lane or you're going to wreck. But I've seen it work the other way too. I've seen people with open hearts, with open minds, with open ears, looking around, observing, trying to see, trying to hear, trying to listen for understanding, to see who God is, how he works. I have one particular student who has watched as this congregation has prayed for one another, has supported one another through hard, difficult stuff, through heavy stuff, And she's made the statement, I know there's a God up there who cares. Because otherwise this stuff wouldn't be possible. That's incredible. That's somebody who's open. That's somebody who's looking, hearing, who's going to get to know God better and deeper. Now, this is a story about a guy receiving his sight, but it starts with hearing. It starts with hearing. Hearing the sound of a guy spitting on the ground, a mixture of mud being made, and then feeling that kind of gross, slimy mixture on his face. Following instruction, receiving sight, seeing spiritual realities as a result of physical healing. This man's immediate And future destiny is changed forever because he's willing to hear. So we have the option to respond too, and we have the option to be responding all the time. I think sometimes we get it, and other times we just miss it. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes we're more negative, like the Pharisees. We use everything we think we know against Jesus. We'll throw all that stuff. Sometimes we're kind of neutral. We're like, yeah, I kind of believe. Why don't you just ask him, though? Like the parents in this story. And sometimes we're positive. We're positive. Like the man who was born blind. He doesn't know much, but he does trust what he does know about Jesus. And he tells his story start to finish, even though it sounds crazy, even though it sounds uh, a little bit hard to uh, explain. Now, this hits close to home for me because the Lord has been working me over with this this, uh, passage, with with this idea of listening, being open. I've realized that I've failed a lot of times to listen to people around me to really listen for understanding, to know somebody else on a deeper level, to know, oh, wow, that, maybe that is, to admit that maybe that is a blind spot that I have. Maybe that is something that I should be aware of or try and take a look at. 
But if I want to grow towards better, I have to change the way I see. At work, at home, at wherever there's people to interact with and a God to reflect. Now, I have great volunteer staff on the ministry team here for the student ministry um, program that we run. They're awesome. They're really smart. They're very courageous. They have awesome ideas. And um, they are willing to tell me when my ideas are junk. Okay, so uh, I think it might have been last year, I had this really awesome idea that we were going to use some wet dog food for like a charades kind of activity. And it was terrible. And my staff told me about it. Now, I love that situation. I love it when people are willing to come and say, hey, look, your idea it really stunk, literally and figuratively. Like, the whole youth room smells as a result of that activity. And it was gross. No one really liked it. It wasn't fun. Maybe just for you. Um, but they were willing to tell me that I would have it no other way because that's the way we grow. That's the way we get better. But I could have chosen not to listen. I could have said, no, you guys are wrong. Forget that. That was a great idea. It was fun. I was laughing. Uh, people got messy, whatever. That's what youth group is about, right? Now, this happens. Uh, this kind of thing happens at home, too, which is a little bit harder for me. I have a lovely wife. She is very wise. But I don't always want to hear her wisdom. I don't always want to hear her perspective because... Oftentimes she's right, and oftentimes if I do listen, that means I'm going to need to make an adjustment. I'm going to need to make a change because she's pointing out something that I wasn't aware of before. It's a blind spot. And so I have to make a choice in that moment. Am I going to shut eyes, cover ears? No, 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 I'm not listening. Or am I going to receive what she's saying. How do you respond? Who are you typically most like in the passage? Negative, neutral, positive. Who are you most like? And what do you know? What do you think you know that might be keeping you from knowing God? See, I know what my friends need without me even listening to them. I know miracles can't happen because I've never seen one. I know God is distant because I can't really feel him right now. I know how to obey all the rules. I know I'm entitled to good things because I'm generally a good person. I know God sees my good works and accepts me on my good merits. Come on, guys. Really? No. We know better than that. You know, we might not say it out loud, but sometimes we live like that. Sometimes we live like we know it all already. And it keeps us from listening. It keeps us from knowing God personally. Now, what's one thing that you actually do know? Whether it's through your experience or uh, something that just incredible happened in your life, What's one thing you do know that a truth that you could speak to yourself and maybe share with somebody else so that they might know God a little bit better or meet him for the first time? Because the, the truth is you don't have to know everything to share something. You don't have to be 
perfect light to be a light in somebody's world. You don't have to have all your questions answered before you believe. See, one thing I know is that that plane did get to its destination safely. One thing I know is that delicious entree was incredible, undeniably good. One thing I know, I was blind, now I see. So what do we know? This is what we know. A carpenter's son shows up a couple thousand years ago with a crazy story, a crazy message. He says, love your enemies. Huh? He says, I am the light of the world. What do you mean, light of the world? Where have you been? We, we have light. We don't, what, are you, what are you even talking about? And you know what? Uh, we know where you're from. You're from Nazareth. Nothing good comes from there. He says stuff like, no one comes through the Father except through me. I'm the bread of life. I am the way. I am. I am. I am. I'm, I'm not sure I'm hearing this. This is not so. This is an irrelevant message. It should have never made it out of the first century. Think about it. How does this type of message get out of the first century? It's because a bunch of witnesses gave their lives for what they saw, for what they heard with their own ears, what they experienced as undeniably true, as unexplainable as it was, That's why there are four gospel accounts of a personal Savior. Because it was a personal experience. An experience that couldn't be denied. They wanted to make sure that people heard the story and embraced the reality for what it is. And I hear Jesus leaning in and saying, are you listening? Do you hear what I hear? Are you seeing this? Do you know what I know? Maybe you're here today and you're a little bit, you're a little bit skeptical, a little bit suspicious, like, uh, this, is, this is craziness. Um, you're hung up on the smorgasbord of world religions, like how could this be the one religion when there's so many other options? Or maybe you've been burned by the church before. Maybe you're thinking, like, this, 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 this system doesn't work. Organized church, institutionalized worship. No, it's not, I don't get it. Or maybe you're here today feeling like you're hitting a ceiling in your faith journey. You've gotten to a point, but you just feel like, ah, oh, that's it cannot push through that threshold. Because in light of what you're experiencing, in light of the suffering that you're seeing around you, it just doesn't make sense. How could a good God let this kind of thing happen? This is someone I love and care about. Listen today to the reality. Try to understand the situation as it really is. We've got issues 
We've got hearts that aren't open. We've got hands that aren't doing the works of God because they're over our ears. We've got eyes shut because we don't really want to admit that we have any problems. We don't really want to admit that we have some blind spots. But when God looked down at our situation, when God looked down at us, and he saw us stuck in our blindness, he decided to do something about it. He decided to send his son so that we could see what he's like. And he did the most personal thing he could, he could to show us what he's like. He handled our biggest problems, sin and death. Biggest problems we'll ever encounter that we can't solve on our own. Sin and death. And he came and gave his life so that we could have life now to walk in the light with eyes open. Are, are you listening and seeing in this way? Are you recognizing any blind spots this morning? Are you processing what it might mean to believe for the first time or to break through that faith ceiling you keep bumping into? Could it be that it begins with being open and vulnerable and listening and watching for understanding and maybe admitting that maybe I was wrong about a few things. If you're saying in your heart of hearts, Lord, if you're to be known, I want to know you. More than I want any questions answered. More than I want information. More than I want an explanation. I want to know you. I want to move you from a category to a person so that real relationship can happen. Would you try this prayer with me right now? Let's bow our heads. Pray this prayer together. Lord, I have just heard a sermon about listening and seeing and truly and deeply understanding reality as it is. I thought about my relationship with you, God. I realize I haven't listened to you very well the way someone listens who really cares about understanding. I want to listen now. It's hard. I'll blow it sometimes, but I'm going to work at it. I really do care about you, and I want to know you. I hope you'll show me some grace along the way. I hope you'll help me. Amen. Imagine what that kind of statement could do to your relationship with God. Take it into your marriage. Imagine what that could do to your marriage relationship. To your relationship with your kids. To your coworkers. Jesus has come, the Messiah, the light of the world. What could happen if you entered relationships with an attitude that leaned more towards the undeniable and less towards the unexplainable? I think if we did, there would be room for acknowledging our blind spots. There would be room for knowing God's grace. There would be room for relationships of genuine understanding with God and others. There would be room for the gospel to affect every part of our lives. The reality is, 
the light of the world has come. Do you hear what I hear? Do you believe? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for coming into this world. Thank you for giving us light so that we could see you, so that we could know you, that we could understand who you are. Lord, help us to move past our pride, to move past our fear, to move past our big questions and our doubts so that we could receive you and know you in personal relationship. That you wouldn't just be a God out there that you wouldn't be a God that we can neatly package up in our nice boxes, in our tidy categories, Lord, but that you would be the God that you are for us and that we would see you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, open our eyes. Help us to see. Help us to know that it is you at work, that you are doing something And we could see if we'd open our eyes. We could hear if we'd open our ears. Lord, move mightily in this new year that we're about to enter. Help us, help us, help us enter this new year with eyes and hearts and ears open so that we could see you And maybe, just maybe, tell our story to somebody that doesn't know about you or that has walked away from the faith. Lord God, we love you. We thank you. We pray that you would continue to work mighty in us, even in the ways that we can't explain, so that we could come face to face with the undeniable reality of who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.